sometimes wonder why God created you or ponder your God-given purpose in life? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to Scripture for the answer which might just surprise you. It's worship. Continuing his series, My Heart's Desire, get ready to discover what worship is and what it isn't as David introduces today's eye-opening message, What is Worship? And we thank you for joining us for this series. Uh, In the month of September, we're studying the subject of worship. And it's based on a book that I wrote uh, several years ago called My Heart's Desire. Um, And it's meant to help all of us put our arms around this subject and quit fighting over worship and begin to worship. And uh, I hope that you will stay with us as we go through this series together. You can get a copy of the book, My Heart's Desire, by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you will see the book presented. And you can order it along with the study guide and the CDs, and you you ought to do that if you're interested in it. Maybe you're a worship leader in your church, you're on the worship team. This is great information to light your fire about what God has called you to do and to understand more and more about how vital worship is in our lives. Our resource for the month, however, is the calendar for the new year. It's called Moving Mountains, and it is a 14-month calendar that includes November and December of 2022. It has all kinds of wonderful assets incorporated into it, and it's our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of September. We've moved the calendar month back one month to make sure you get it in time to utilize it at the end of this year and beginning with the new year. I hope you'll give us the opportunity to send this to you. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of September and simply ask for the calendar. And we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in this ministry. Well, a lot of people ask this question. What is worship? How do you define it? And perhaps even more important, what is it not? We're going to talk about that today here on Turning Point. A.W. Tozer is probably the most quoted man by ministers of the gospel, perhaps quoted more than any other man except uh, the possibility of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And I suppose that we owe the number of books that have been written on the subject of worship, first of all, to him, because his book on worship is one of the first ones to have been published in a modern time. He had a term that he used in his book several times. He referred to worship as the missing jewel in the church. Others have captured that and used it even for titles of additional books. A.W. Tozer was not appreciated much during his lifetime. He was little known by his contemporaries. But after he died and his books began to be published, people realized that he was a prophet, a man who had a grasp on the church of his day like no other man. He could see the tremendous needs that we have in evangelicalism, and he could, in his very poignant way, put them down so that you would not forget them. In one of his writings, A.W. Tozer has said this, Man was made to worship God. He said, God gave man a harp, and he said, 
here above all creatures that I have made and created I have given you the largest harp I put more strings on your instrument and I've given you a wider range than I have given to any other creature you can worship me in a manner that no other creature can and then said Tozer when man sinned he took that instrument and he threw it down in the mud and there it has lain for centuries rusted and broken and unstrung and man instead of playing a harp like the angels and seeking to worship God in all of his activities is ego-centered and turns on himself and sulks and swears and laughs and sings and it's all without joy and without worship Tozer said worship is the missing jewel in modern evangelicalism we're organized we work we have our churches we have our agendas we have almost everything but there's one thing that the churches even the gospel churches do not have and that is the ability to worship we are not cultivating the art of worship it's the one shining gem that is lost to the modern church and said Tozer I believe we ought to search for this until we find it end of quote Tozer expresses the burden that is in my heart as we face these challenging days of learning about this subject I have come to realize more than ever before in my life as an individual Christian and as a pastor that worship is the ultimate priority for which all of us were created it is the priority commandment in the Word of God we are to love the Lord God with all of our hearts and minds and souls it is the pattern of the Old Testament wherever you look people are worshiping in the practice of the New Testament it is our primary responsibility before God as the Lord Jesus said one thing is needful and that's the one thing you need to cultivate your worship of the Lord it is the place where God lives for he inhabits the praise of his people it is the prerequisite for effective service the Lord Jesus said to Satan when he was tempted by him in the wilderness thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve worship comes before service it's the panacea for discouragement we have been offered the opportunity to trade in the spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise and it is the passion the very passion of our God himself John 4 intrigues me no end for it says that God is seeking those who will worship him he is actively searching his eyes run to and fro throughout the land seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth if worship is such a high priority if it is the one thing for which we have been created then how shall we go about it what does it really mean to worship what kinds of worship does God accept and what kinds does he reject what ways of expressing our worship to God are legitimate and what are not all of those questions beg to be answered and hopefully we shall get to them all before we are finished but perhaps we should ask the question what is worship and maybe the best way that I can define it is to first of all tell you what it is not maybe I can help you understand as I have studied the scriptures that there are certain kinds of worship that God does not accept first of all there is what we might call ignorant worship do you remember when Jesus was talking to the woman of Samaria about worship 
And Jesus spoke to her as a Samaritan woman, and he said something very strange to her. He said, you worship, you know not what. Isn't that an interesting statement? How can you worship something you don't even know what it is? Paul hit a similar theme when he was preaching in Acts chapter 17, and he was in Athens and gave his marvelous sermon on Mars Hill. And he said, you people are superstitious. He said, I observed when I was walking in here that there's an altar out there to the unknown God. How do you worship a God you don't know? And later on in that very passage in Acts 17, Paul actually calls that ignorant worship. And my friends, all across this land today and up and down the churches of this country and around the world, as people have filed in and out of their sanctuaries, they have walked in to worship, they know not what, in ignorant worship, and nothing has really happened except the outward, the external, and it has never gone outside of the building, for God does not accept ignorant worship. Worship is knowing God and worshiping him. And if we do not know God, how can we worship? Some people say, well, it doesn't matter what you worship, just so you worship, as if the experience was some kind of cathartic experience. My friend, God does not accept ignorant worship. Let me tell you another kind of worship that he does not accept. He does not accept improper worship. Did you know that in the Old Testament, There are many illustrations of improper worship, but perhaps the key passage in the New Testament that deals with that is in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, which I call the devolution of man, Paul is writing to the Romans and he's talking about what has happened in culture. And he is saying in Romans chapter 1 that man has taken the creative work of God, which was given as a testimony to the greatness and the might of God. And man has taken that. And in the passage, he says he is Instead of worshiping the creator to whom the creation pointed, man has instead worshiped the creation. And then there's a frightening word from God. God gave them up. You know, it's a terrible thing to think that anybody ever gives up on anyone. But I'll tell you what, when God gives up on you, you have been given up. And God said that because they did not see that behind the creation was the creator to whom the worship was to be given, and instead they took the creative things and lifted up idols and worshiped them, that was the lowest common denominator of their rejection of God, and therefore he gave them up. He left them go in their own devices until ultimately they were destroyed. God does not accept improper worship. There's a third kind of worship I call idolatrous worship. And I might surprise you with my definition of an idol. If I were to ask you today, what is an idol? Some of you would say, well, an idol, obviously, is something you worship instead of God. Anything you worship instead of God is an idol. And there's a sense in which that is true, but there's more to it than that, friends. An idol is anything you allow to get between you and your worship of the true God. For instance, there are many today all over the world who have icons and statuettes and all kinds of... uh, Articles of worship to worship God. The Word of God says we're not to ever bring anything between our worship of God and ourselves. We're to worship Him and Him only. In the book of Exodus, we're told about the time when Moses went to the mountain to get the law. While he's up on the mountain, the Scripture says the people began to play. They were playing around. And they got Aaron in on the thing, and they said, Aaron, let's build a golden calf, then we'll have something to worship God. 
They took all their earrings and their jewelry, melted them down, and they built themselves a golden calf, and they worshiped God. And if you study the passage in Deuteronomy 4, where Moses refers back to it, you begin to get the impression that it wasn't so much that they worshiped the golden calf instead of God, but they wanted the golden calf as a means by which to worship God. They wanted something they could see and feel and touch to worship God, and it was idolatry. God did not accept it, and thousands died because they violated the true concept of worship. You know, it's easy for us today to get things in between God and ourselves. It's possible for evangelicals to worship the Bible. Did you know that? The Bible was never meant for us to worship. It's a means to help us to know how to worship God. And some people wear things around their neck, put them on their dashboard, whatever, because that's a means to worship. God wants to be worshipped from the pure heart totally, and we're to worship him. And anything we put between God and us, according to the scripture, is an idol, and God does not accept it. There's another kind of worship that God does not accept. We'll call that inferior worship, inferior worship. And you know, perhaps more is written about that in the Bible than anything else. Malachi the prophet was a very strong, impassionate prophet of God who wrote to the post-exilic Jews about how they had allowed their worship of the Lord to come into disrepair. And in Malachi, this preacher stood up in front of these Jews and he said, you bring to God animals that you would never even be allowed to present to your governor to pay your taxes. You don't bring God the best, you bring him the leftovers. You go out to your flock and you find a mangy old goat or a mangy old lamb and you bring it to God. And you say, Lord, here's my worship. You read the book of Malachi and listen to what that preacher said about that. He said that God is a great God and we're to bring to God the best we have. God wants the first fruits of our life, not the leftovers. He wants the best we can present to him in terms of our gifts and our abilities and our money and all of our talents. That's why if we say we don't have a commitment to excellence, we don't understand worship. Worship is taking the best we have and bringing it to God as our offering unto him. Now, the best we have may not be at the top standard of excellence across the nation. That's not the issue. The issue isn't, are we better than someone else? The issue is, are we the best we have the potential to be? And then we bring that to God and say, here's my gift of worship to you. God will not accept inferior worship. If I grew up as a pastor's kid, I've been hanging around a church all my life. So often what you hear is, oh, it's just for the church. No, it's for God. And I dare say if God were to be physically present here, you wouldn't give him any old thing you got laying around the house. You'd bring him the best you have. And that's what he demands. He doesn't accept inferior worship. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, if he doesn't accept all of that kind of worship, then what kind of worship do we bring God? Let me suggest to you that it's important that we get the answer to that. It's important because if you read the scripture, disastrous things happened to people who didn't worship right. Have you noticed that? I think about Nadab and Abihu who offered, according to the Old Testament, strange fire. They worshiped God in the wrong way and they were history in a moment. And I've already mentioned that when they reared up the golden calf to worship God, that God allowed thousands of them to die because of their sin. I think about King Saul. King Saul, who one day got impatient because Samuel, the prophet, the priest, didn't show up in time to do the sacrifice as he was supposed to do. And Saul got impatient. He said, well, I don't need to wait on Samuel. I'll do it myself. And he offered to God 
an improper sacrifice. And the scripture says that because of that, God said to King Saul, because of what you did, I am taking the kingdom away from you and you cannot be king anymore. The reason that I want you to understand all of this is that sometimes we have this, well, some people do and some people don't attitude about worship. And it's a very important thing. It's very important that we not only find out that God desires to be worshipped, but that we do our very best to discover how he wants to be worshipped. Because he counts it as very important. Now the first thing I want to tell you about true worship is that true worship is a response of obedience to God. God hasn't given us the option to worship him or not to worship him. I have gone through the Psalms And I'll tell you what, there's so much material in the Psalms on worship. But I want you to understand something with me, that worship is a command that God has given to us. It is not an option, it is a responsibility, it is a duty that all of us have. Let me just read some verses for you, and you listen with your heart. Psalm 29, 2, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Psalm 95, 2 and 6, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. Psalm 96, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. O worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. If you read through the scriptures, what you discover is that according to the word of God, God is to be loved by his creatures with all of their heart, soul, and mind. He is to be praised. He is to be blessed. He's to be gloried in. He's to be exalted. He's to be feared. He's to be rejoiced in. He's to be extolled. He's to be thanked. All of that and hundreds more are reminders to us, friends, that we don't have an option if we're going to be obedient children of whether we worship God or not. Worship is a command. It is the priority and the response of obedience in our hearts. Well, you say, Jeremiah, I come to church to hear you preach, and I don't get into all that stuff we do up front. Well, my preaching isn't doing you a whole lot of good because if that's your attitude, you're disobedient. You're not to come here passively wading through the first moments until we get to the teaching And you know how important I believe that to be. But your first priority in coming to church is not what you're going to get out of church, but what you're going to give back to God through your exercise of worship in obedience to his word. I don't believe you can really get from the teaching of the word of God all that God wants you to have if you haven't, first of all, given back to God the response of obedience in worship that he demands of you. You try that for the next few weeks and see if I'm not right. You come to God... Before the service, they say, Lord, help me to just give you all my worship in this service with all my heart. And then you watch what happens when God begins to speak to you through his word in the message. I need to pause here for just a moment before we go on to remind you that if indeed God's word it commands us to worship and gives us what we need to know about worship, then we're going to have some very difficult choices to make in the days ahead. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, would you? I have read this passage many times, but never in the context of worship. But here is a powerful passage of Scripture. And let me just say to you before we read it, people, many of us will have to come back to this portion of God's Word in the days ahead to decide how we're going to respond to what God says to us. 
Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. Jesus is being interviewed by the scribes and the Pharisees. And as you can imagine, he is in conflict with them. We read in verse 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, I suppose there's one kid in the whole world who wouldn't like to know about that passage when he's growing up. That the elders didn't wash their hands. Why do I have to wash mine, right? But there's more going on here than that. Watch his response. Jesus said to the Pharisees, why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Now, there's two transgressions mentioned here, and watch carefully. In the first, the Pharisees said to Jesus, your disciples are transgressing the traditions. And Jesus said, hold up, wait just a minute. The problem isn't the transgression of tradition. The problem is that by your traditions, you're transgressing the commandment of God. And you know what? Sooner or later, all of us in our Christian lives, if we're really honest and have integrity in the way we study God's Word, have to make a choice. Am I going to make the Word of God paramount in my life, or am I going to allow traditions to rule my life? And you know, the way it comes out in worship is, well, you know, Pastor Jeremiah, we've never done it this way. Well, that sounds like a tradition. Is there anything wrong with traditions? No. Traditions are great. All of us have them and we love them and there's security, there's encouragement from them. The problem isn't that we have traditions. The problem is when our traditions run counter to what God's word says, then we have to make a choice. Are we going to give up God's word? Or are we going to give up our traditions? And there are some people that are so set in concrete with their traditions that they don't really care what the word of God says. This is the way I've always done it. I feel comfortable doing it this way. I'm going to do it this way the rest of my life. I'm going to die doing it this way. And then stand before the Lord. And he's going to say, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? (laughs) Now read on in the passage and notice what's going on here. At the end of verse 6, Jesus says, you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. (laughs) Did you hear what he said? You canceled out God's word by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Did you know that that happens? People, they say, here is what God says, and they don't quote God at all. They quote the tradition, the commandments of men. A lot of stuff that's passed off as thus saith the Lord is thus saith tradition. Isn't that true? And I don't want to belabor that point. I just want you to understand that if we say true worship is from God's word and we're commanded by God's word to do it and God has given to us the parameters of our worship, the question, the real question we need to ask when we come to the principles of worship is not what am I comfortable with or what is my tradition, but what does God say? Isn't that an interesting perspective on all of this? So many people say, well, I... Um, That's not my mode of worship. I don't do worship that way. I don't think it's so much about the mode. I think it's about the attitude of heart. And we'll learn a lot about that as we study together during this month. Once again, uh, the resource for the month of September is a calendar called Moving Mountains. It's a 14-month calendar that begins in November of 2022 and carries you through the entire new year. 
We want to send it to you is our way of saying thank you for your investment in Turning Point, and we'll do it if you ask for it. Send your gift and say, please send me the calendar, and it will be on its way. It's beautifully designed, and uh, you will love having it in your kitchen, your living room, your study, wherever you might want to put it up on the wall, just to remember to pray for us and remember what God is doing around the world. He's the God of the mountains, and you will certainly treasure it as you have opportunity to get it. We're at the end of a week, and uh, we... Always take a moment at the end of the week to remind you of how important it is for you to be in church. Uh, I read an article not long ago by the Barna organization that said 20% of the people who came to church before COVID are not coming back. I hope that isn't true, and I hope it's not true of you. The church is critical, especially in these confusing days. Get to church. Watch Turning Point on television. Be sure to join us on Monday as we return to our study of My Heart's Desire, the subject of worship. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Two men were talking, and the first one said, I proposed to my girlfriend and would have married her if it hadn't been for something she said. 
Well, what did she say, his friend asked. The first man replied, she said no. Well, that unfortunate answer raises a good question for us to consider. How do we respond when someone tells us something we don't want to hear? More specifically, how do we respond to the authorities in our life? And how do we respond to God when His answer isn't what we expected? Learning to accept no is a big step toward maturity in life. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answers on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66. Start your journey home today.